Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Children going to school hungry in this country is flabbergasting. We're in Washington, D.C. today with three guests. Sarah Pollan, Supergirl, on a day when soup would be really invaluable. I think the temperatures are below freezing. And Sarah, you're going to tell us in a moment about your soup restaurants. Welcome. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thank you for having me. And also Amy Salep, who is the... CEO of Community Wealth Partners, a consulting firm wholly owned by Share Our Strength. Uh, Amy, you don't go by Supergirl. Do you go by Batwoman, Spider, anything? You can call me whatever you want. Okay, no moniker that we should be aware (laughs) of? No. Okay. And once again, my sister, Debbie Shore, co-founder of Share Our Strength, here at the table with us because uh, one of the reasons I think we even know Sarah Pollen is because my sister um, connected us to her and recruited her to ride in our chef cycle. That is ride. correct. And um, Debbie, glad you're here. And I'd like to be Catwoman if I could. You'd love to be Catwoman. Yeah, that sounds that like works. you. Yeah. You have your Catwoman glasses right here, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. Oh, do you want to do you want to show them? Sure. Thirty years. These glasses. These glasses are very important to Debbie. Debbie can talk <laughs> about these for our whole hour if you'd let her. But we're not going to. We're not going to let her. Anyhow, we're glad you guys are here. Um, Sarah, we were saying like, what a day for soup. Yeah. It's freezing, and you're somebody who believes that soup can actually change the world, even on days when it's not freezing. I hope so. Um, tell us, you were started as a comedian. I did. Yeah, and now you've got two restaurants in Washington D.C. Yeah, there's there's soup shops. Soup know. shops. Yeah, there's soup shops. We. Uh, we have those, and we're also uh, have a growing wholesale business. We sell our soups in Whole Foods and Costco and uh, places like that. And um, it's soup is very comforting, especially on a day like today. But it more than more than soup itself, it's what you put in the soup that makes me naively think that I can save the world through soup. Because you're really about changing yes. the food system. Our our uh, mantra is uh, changing the world one bowl of soup at a time. And uh, the reason behind that is you have, we're trying to be so careful about what we put in the soup, um, knowing where the food comes from, who grew it, what's the story of it, how was the staff treated who cooked it, um, are there chemicals in it and preservatives, uh, and the company I'm trying to grow, we're trying to be as responsible as possible. I started it with my mom with these uh, values in mind. And as we grow, we just work every day to make sure we stay true to those values. And you like soup more than you like comedy because you were a comedian. You started as a comedian. <laughs> I want to hear a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 telling a joke in the context of a conversation will make you think I'm wildly unfunny. Uh, shockingly so. I like them both equally, and I hope I'm able to interject comedy into the brand. But tell us about the, I guess, the transition. Like, just tell us about your journey. How did you, uh, hmm. before we turn to Amy, tell us how did you, how did you decide I'm going to be about soup, or, uh, or, or I'm going to be about fixing the food system? And yeah. Just like what triggered that for you? Well, I had slowly transitioned out of comedy, not by choice, just circumstances. I moved out of New York back to D.C. for a business opportunity, and I always thought I'd go back to it, and it started slipping further and further away. And I knew I wanted to really shake things up, and what triggered the shakeup that led to Supergirl was 
Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. It changed, it changed my life. It opened my eyes. I used to be one of those people that would go to a farmer's market and think they were really cute and not really understand how important they were. And I mean, do you remember what led you even to read the book? My mother. Okay. Read it and and said, "You got to read. You got to read this." And uh, I actually remember being on a on a plane back from Costa Rica from a, a long bachelorette party <laughs> and putting the book down and just kind of looking around and being like, "Oh my gosh!" It and and it changed my life. Um, I also I often say I have problems with authority, so I, I knew I wanted to start my own business. <laughs> and then um, a friend of mine pointed out that my mom makes wonderful soup, and I've been eating soup my whole life. When I lived in New York, my folks would come up and visit, and they'd have a cooler full of soup, and I'd just pack the freezer. I don't remember what other people eat. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do eat other things, but that really is my primary food choice all year long. Now, Amy Salep, you're um, not so much about soup, but you're also about changing the world, and you're doing it in a way one nonprofit organization at a time. Um, tell us about Community Wealth Partners and how you ended up there. Sure. Well, Community Wealth Partners aims to solve social problems at the magnitude they exist, and Billy, I credit you with that term that we got from the imaginations from the imaginations of unreasonable men in the book that you wrote um, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about how we did that in a minute I guess my journey there was uh, not one event like reading a book like you talked about but probably a series of events over my life um, you know uh, kind of grew up in a very middle-class family and my parents separated when I was 10 or 11 and um, I know my parents kind of struggled at times emotionally, economically as a result of that. But one thing that I am very grateful for is that they had very strong values. And despite kind of um, at times feeling like our family was falling apart, that is true, um, I always felt those values front and center, um, you know, from, uh, you know, opportunities to work on an Indian reservation as a young person, which kind of opened my eyes to a whole nother world that I didn't know existed, to uh, my parents sponsoring a family that was coming over from Vietnam um, and helping them get settled in this country. And so they were very much about instilling in us a sense of you know, going out and meeting people who were different from us and respecting people, and they had a strong value on education. Um, so I think all of that, that, that was deeply ingrained in me. I started off in journalism, actually, not at all in the space I'm in now. Um, but I think I realized that industry wasn't for me, and it was partly because I wanted to tell stories, but the kind of stories that I was being asked to tell every day that got local news ratings were not the kind you, of stories that really mattered to me. Were you a TV news anchor? Uh, well, not an anchor. anchor. I was a producer. A producer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the stories that, we, that you tell in local news were not the stories I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell stories about people changing the world, but uh, in local news, there's a lot of pressure to produce stories that get certain types of writings, and it wasn't always the stories that I was most interested in. And so I eventually said, I'm going to go tell the stories I want to tell, and um, got into kind of marketing communications, and then eventually Community Wealth Partner. So um, what we get to do is 
help organizations and foundations that are addressing a lot of the other human needs that go alongside, you know, needs for food. So when you put a person at the center who is vulnerable, living in poverty, they have a lot of needs, housing needs, right, mental health needs, um, education needs, and we're working with organizations that are doing all those things. So in housing, NeighborWorks America, in education, city or communities and schools. Do you have any, if I can jump in, do you have any concrete examples like a, a, a success story you're really proud of where you yeah. you jumped into a nonprofit. That's a great question. There's so many. Um, but I think, you know, one of them is Kaboom, which oh, sure. are you familiar with yeah. them at all? Yeah. I mean, here in D.C., you probably yes, are. Definitely. Um, Kaboom today focuses on ensuring that all children get the balance of play that they need to thrive. And when I talk about balance of play, it's three types of play. It is Social play, meaning learning where you learn how to engage with others, cognitive play, playing different types of games that spur brain development, as well as active play that helps build body, you know, muscles and um, and fights things like obesity. Our children are not playing as much as they used to anymore in this country. There's a lot of statistics that will say our kids sit in front of televisions and screens up to eight hours a day, which is like a travesty to me. I mean, I remember as a kid running up and down the street barefoot every day, you know, to my neighbor's house and running in the yard and kicking the ball and playing on the jungle gym. Like that's disappearing in this country. And um, what what we helped Kaboom do was really say what we need to do is not just build playgrounds and the infrastructure for play. We need to shift the cultural norm in this country, which I feel like is very relevant to what we need to do today, given some of the developments yeah. as of recent. You know, what I like about this conversation with, the, with the, the two of you is, Amy, you're working on these big kind of systems change and organizational change. But, Sarah, you really believe that almost it, the individual choices we make have a much broader impact than on our own lives. They can really change the world as well. So talk about yeah. what actually goes into the soup. You, you said you were talking about earlier about how important the ingredients were for you. And they're important because they really do have these ripple effect, consequential sure. impacts. Most of us, when we go to buy a bowl of soup, don't think about that. But tell us how you think about it. Yeah, well, I, 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 this word is so overused right now, but I fully live in a bubble a personal bubble when it comes to food. I just, I, I'm so particular about my food choices now because once you learn, it's hard to go back. Um, so the first thing is the soup is plant-based. Um, and I, I do think that not enough people know the impact of the meat and, and dairy industry on climate change and pollution and air quality and worker respect and labor, it's profound. And so the the first the first choice we made was to go entirely plant-based. So right there, we're, we're reducing our carbon footprint. We're having a huge impact just by making that choice. Um, and the next thing is the style of cooking. There's no chemicals or preservatives. This is my, these are my mother's recipes. I, I, she started the company with me. Um, so you're not gonna have a lot of salt fat or you know you'll recognize every ingredient in the soup and then we try to source from responsible and sustainable farmers we are not perfect i just really want to say that we you know because once once the expect once you set an expectation yeah. people <laughs> hold you to it yeah. or more i assume well, people say we're you know 100 local no i'm not saying that at all um 
we are supporting a ton of local farmers. We are buying an astonishing amount of produce from local farmers, but I can't get 100% of it. I'll go out of business or I'll have to charge $20 for a bowl of soup. And that's kind of the... The, the line that we're all walking, everyone here in the, in the quote-unquote sustainable or responsible food sector is trying to find, consumers are demanding organic, non-GMO, local, healthy. They're only going to pay so much. And we looked at going organic. And people ask us all the time, the cost of going organic, first of all, the certification process is astounding. Second of all, if I were to purchase all of my ingredients, or, or the you know I think it's seventy five percent of my ing- ingredients from organic suppliers, I would not. I would go out of business at the volume we're at right now. Now maybe in the future, hopefully, we can change that. But right now, I just I, the consumer is not going to pay what I would need to charge to make that work. I don't know if you can speak to this, but how long would you take it? How long would you think it takes someone to kind of get off of, you know, the addiction of sugar yeah. and salt and fat? Three months. Three months. Wow. And, then, and then you really don't crave it anymore, right? So, or not to the degree. I, um, I went totally vegan three years ago, three years ago. And everyone's like, oh, I can never give up cheese. And for me, that was the last thing to go. But what is cheese? It's cheese, it's salt and fat. And, I took me three months, uh, and I do not miss it at all. I had always struggled with high cholesterol, and it, everyone on my family is on Lipitor. And so everyone has low cholesterol in the family because without Lipitor, their cholesterol is very high. And I refused, and I said to my doctors, this was at the time, I said, I'm mostly vegan. This is crazy, but the cholesterol was stubbornly at 230, which is pretty high. And I had my cholesterol tested three months ago for the first time in four years, and it's 180. Wow. And that's, that to me is, that's. Yeah. I don't know if you're gonna get into any of your mother's (laughs) recipes, because you know that there's no chance that we would open up a food stall or a a shop based on our mother's recipes. Or even our obsession with butter. I mean, do you not eat butter either? No, no butter. Uh, So, I mean, Billy and I, we love butter so much that we'll literally call each other from restaurants, from other cities (laughs) and say, the butter butter in ABC Kitchen is amazing in New York. I'm like, noted, you know? Look, you you do do the best you can if you have lofty goals. I mean, Amy, when you were saying what what you said to Kaboom, that to me sounded... I don't even know how you begin to to achieve that goal that you set forth for Kaboom. So you might say, oh, how are you change, overhaul the way you eat? It sounds crazy. I can, but I, I look at that and I see that. How do you even begin to go to an organization and say, you need to change America's approach to to right. to, act, to play with children? How, yeah. do, you, how do you begin well, that? And I, I would say that, you know, I, I also want to give them a lot of credit because I wouldn't say we came in and said, this is what you need to do because that's not the way we work, right? We work very much as partners. But And, and they already had an inkling. The reason that they brought us in is because they already had an inkling that basically building playgrounds wasn't, wasn't changing um, – our children's future in the way that they wanted it to. And so that's, they wanted to kind of raise the bar for themselves. Um, And and I think it is a, um, you know, combination of kind of inspiring people. Um, People, people get behind things when they're inspired. Um, But there's so many competing 
organizations, nonprofits competing there are. for this yeah. attention. Yeah. You got to stay part, true to your it? belief. We know that's hard. I mean, you got to stay true to your belief about what's going to change the world and got to not lose focus on it. And I think it's inspiring them, but also, you know, part of our work on the practical side is helping them see how it could be possible. You know, we've done some research that's actually looked at large scale change initiatives over time. You look at things like the designated driver campaign in this country. I mean, you know what a designated driver is, I right? I sure do. <laughs> well, guess what? Probably had you grown up, you know, in a different era earlier in time, you probably wouldn't have because that wasn't a term in our culture. And there was a group of people here that were very passionate about the fact we needed to reduce alcohol-related fatalities. And they, it was a group out of um, the Harvard School for Public Health, and they uh, went and worked with Hollywood writers and producers to begin writing the designated driver concept into television shows and oh, wow. into movie scripts. And yeah. they rewarded them for doing that. But what was interesting is they knew that Hollywood was a major influencer on American culture. And as those things, like in shows Cheers, what did they do all the time? They sat around the bar and drank. And as they started writing the designated driver concept into shows like that, it started infiltrating American culture. And now and look at our president. So we can change culture. I mean, exactly. But we can change culture. There actually are examples. And that's one of the big things that we do when we're working with organizations is help them see that there are examples well, that have accomplished uh, the types and, of and things the they're talking was, about. And the belief was that that kind of cultural change would, in the case of designated driver, would be more effective than any kind of government Yes, regulation. There, were, there are, was there already are changes. government regulation, yeah. right? You're not supposed to drink and drive, but it wasn't you know, really being enforced until we created this cultural shift. Right. Um, <laughs> as we wrap up, I'd love to hear what's next for each of you. Um, Sarah Pollan, you've got two soup shops. You've, you're in retail. <laughs> Uh, where are you going to take the Supergirl brand? What's next? We uh, we are about to open up a new kitchen to handle some pretty significant growth. We want to go beyond up and down the East Coast and beyond. We're working on really expanding our capacity. I am on a mission to get as many people eating my soup as possible um, because I do believe with every bowl that someone, when they choose my soup, that it sounds so it's it's I believe so much in this product we're putting out. I believe that everybody wins if they make this choice. And so I need to grow this company. Um and because also I know what I want to do when I'm if I am so fortunate to have an opportunity to do something after I want, I need to get involved in um fixing our food system on a full-time basis. And so I just I got to I got to keep working. Um, because I need to do this. Amy, you've spent 15 years growing a business that's now one of the most successful nonprofit consulting firms and sustainable in history. There's lots of folks who have tried to do this. They haven't succeeded wow, at it. Wow, you should have started it's, with it, that. It, it, that's it's, really, it's really pretty <laughs> remarkable. No, I mean, and, and Amy has built it really almost, you weren't there at the very beginning, but close to. Uh, and your sheer determination, the grit that Debbie was talking about, mm -hmm. attributing to Sarah, has really turned this into a sustainable, uh, impactful business. What's next for you and Community Wealth Partners? So what's next is I think that the kinds of problems our clients are working on, we are finding with foundations and nonprofits, are increasingly complex and take really diverse experience, skills, and expertise to solve them. Um, and so we're really on a mission right now to uh, leverage 
a much broader network than we have historically to bring a whole variety of expertise and skills and perspectives, including lived experience, um, to bear for our clients so that they get even more value from the work that we do. I think it is beyond the time where we can say, you know, we uh, together with them have um, the uh, what it takes. And I think that we've got to start thinking about bringing in more specialized expertise um, so that we can uh, offer them even more value. So that's a big part of what we're focused on right now. Great. great. Well, you've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. Uh, we've been talking about soup. We've been talking about moms. We've been talking about nonprofits. Debbie and I, uh, our, our mom, we, uh, who was an amazing, great mom, we remember her for two things. One is she used to try to talk my sister out of going to school many days so that she would stay home with my mom and watch soap operas. <laughs> sit on the uh, sofa and have, you know, grilled cheese and chocolate milk and sit with her and, and watch Secret Storm and Edge of Night. So that was it was, a it was it was embarrassing after a while. And her favorite recipe, and this will make Sarah cringe, was <laughs> oh, the, she used to. If you remember when they sold these things called potato, potato sticks. sticks in a can, she used to put them in a pan of no. butter and fry them. Do you know what potato sticks are? They're no, still out they there. Sound they're, they're still there. They're, <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, maybe and then salt them. The Jolly Green oh. Giant made them, and then salt and them. And then salt yeah. them. Oh. Yeah. So anyhow, but Sarah, you somehow you have authority issues, but you work with your mom, so she must be pretty special. Oh, well, I don't say no to so my mom. You don't say to your mom. Of course not. <laughs> Um, okay, so Sarah Pollan, uh, thank you for being thank with us. Thank you so much. It was a really, really great conversation. You, you, the Shore siblings are two of the most inspiring people I've had the honor to work with, talk to. Please don't stop doing what you're doing. Well, thanks. We'll yeah, give our mom sweet. credit thank for you. that, too. <laughs> thank you. And Amy Celeb Community Wealth Partners, don't you stop what you're doing because it's had a broad impact on a lot of organizations across this country. Thank you. Um, and Debbie Shore my partner in crime. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I'm Billy Shore. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.